Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Bible Immersion Podcast by the Well Madera, where we exist to point people to the hope and love and the wholeness found only in Jesus Christ. And the heart and the vision of this podcast is to do that by showing how every single story of Scripture snaps together to shape the one true story of Jesus. And we're calling this podcast Bible Immersion because we recognize that reading the Bible is its a lot like learning a new language. Uh, not only that, it's like stepping back into a completely new and unfamiliar time zone in a culture and a context that expects you to be fluent in their history and cultural traditions and even their inside jokes. And as we all know, the best way to learn another language is to completely immerse yourself in the culture and force yourself to begin thinking about everything through the life and the eyes and the language of that culture. And this is what the Bible is inviting you and me to do. We immerse ourselves in the story and we allow it to shape our identity as we begin to see that even a few thousand years later, we are still living within this same one true story. So as we walk line by line through the scriptures to know who God is and what he's like and what it means to be human as we're shaped by the story of Jesus, come with us and see how this divine gift of the scriptures points us to the past to inspire hope for the future. Let's go ahead and turn to Proverbs 18 this morning. So Proverbs 18. Um, And when you get there, uh, if somebody could read Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one, huh? Yeah, I've been thinking I've been thinking about this one this week. As you can tell, I'm definitely in a vein with my proverbs of like listening more than speaking and hearing people's stories because I think it's right. You know, it's such a value right now that is lacking in our society. Um, And I, I tell you what, it just keeps adding fuel to the fire when people put their opinions out there, but they aren't willing to listen to the stories and the experiences of others. And so I'm in a season of um, just trying to listen, listen to the Lord's guidance, but then listen to um, the stories of those who are saying, man, we've been oppressed and we've experienced injustice for years. Well, let me let me hear about that. Um, let me hear your story. And so I'm reading a really good book right now on racial injustice and I think opening my eyes to just, I think, Things we've known about, but we don't really stop and think about. And so Proverbs eighteen two, man, to stop and to listen. But what do you guys, what do you guys see in that verse there? Anything jump out, grab your attention? I, I that's been a, a bugaboo of mine for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Is people who just want to talk and never want to listen. Mm-hmm. I used to tell the kids in my classroom, just, just listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Close the mouth. <laughs> right. Yeah. I imagine you had to deal with that more than a few students like that over the years. That. Yeah. 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 Dave, I, wish were, I, my, I wish you were my teacher as a child. I, I see your patience. I think you're probably really, really good teacher. Yeah. Very good teacher. 
Yeah, yeah, I bet so. I bet so. Um, in light of this proverb this week, I also learned something that I'll just um, pass on here that I want to look into. Some of you guys might know better than me, kind of the history of Chinese uh, characters or symbols, their alphabet, and how every letter um, or word in their kind of alphabet and language is symbolic so it's not just a letter but it's like a pictograph in a sense right and so the word for in chinese for sage um, has the picture of a large ear and a small mouth and i thought that was super cool i I need to do some reading on it before i go telling everybody that but i just heard it this week oh that's super cool a sage is someone with a large ear and a small mouth that just kind of this picture of like listening and taking in wisdom uh but that doesn't always have to be the one talking and so um that's an area i i want to work on personally so but yeah dave i i appreciate yeah i i can see that one resonated with you it's like man people if we could be better at this right now uh and truly hear people the value in that so you don't learn while you're talking (laughs) i know true yeah Um, which is super convicting me to me as a teacher of like man that's why i i think both sean and i really value dialogue in our classes like when we teach genesis we don't want to talk the whole time we we want conversation and that's why once again we love questions and we love dialogue so yeah we get to learn when other people ask questions and then other people talk so i really value i think that's why i love small groups life groups discipleship groups like this is you get to listen you get to learn rather than being the guy up there preaching the whole time (laughs) so well guys let me pray for us and then sean i'll hand it over to you for some genesis 6 father we love you we thank you for your word just want to be still this morning and listen. Um, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us wisdom to just be still, know that you're God. Listen to your guidance. Listen to your truth and your word. Help us to truly hear the stories, the experiences, the hurt, the pain um, of others, to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Help us to be really good at that as not only as humans, but as Christians who care about the lives and the stories of others. So help us to be listeners and learners more than always with something to say. I know I need help with that, Lord. So help me grow in that. Help us grow in that. Thank you for Genesis 6. What a crazy, cool story we're about to read. Uh, Give us wisdom and discernment as as we walk through this. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Before we start Genesis 6, um, I want to go back real quick and kind of 30,000 foot view of uh, what's what's taking place in, in, in um, the, between mankind and God and, and the relationship and, and our condition. Um, and so just coming out of three and into four, we see that Adam and Eve fell pretty hard. We see that... Cain and Abel also fell, or Cain fell. Um, the sin that was now within him, being a son of Adam, um, took hold. And as God warned him that that if he if he doesn't go back and recount his steps, that bad things are going to happen. He's he's on a bad path, and that's exactly what happened. 
excuse me. And then immediately after, we see uh, the story of Lamech. Real quick story, just talking about how um, uh, we see Adam trying to hide his sin. We see um, uh, Cain attempting to lie and hide his sin. But then we see Lamech, who's the complete opposite. He's very proud of his sin, and he's bragging about it. And um, my friend Anthony Martinez would say that that's because it's put in song form. That's the first gangster rap. <laughs> that he's, 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 he's uh, yeah, he's, he's made that clear to me that that's a gangster rap. Um, and so we, we, we saw Adam's descendants. So remember last week we talked about um, the first part of five, how it says that um, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. But then when Adam created uh, his children, they were in the likeness of Adam. And we talked a little bit about how that the transition is, is that the uh, the likeness of God would be perfection, but the likeness of Adam would be a fallen man. You guys remember that? Okay, good. Okay. Um, one more thing I wanted you guys to remember is uh, in chapter five is where it says Enoch walked with God because that's going to become that's going to come into play here pretty soon. Um, would somebody grab? <coughs> excuse me. Six. Um, 6, 1 through 8 for me, please. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they looked at their wives any they, huh? Oh, they took as their wives any they chose. So then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. These days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old men and of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Mm. What in the world's going on there? Wow, that was, that's wild. Yeah, <laughs> it sure is wild. <laughs> Any, probably no questions in that portion, right? Yeah, good thing Dennis what? is flying this morning. Let's just clip along, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... <clears throat> I don't even know where to begin with this one. Um, it talks about the Nephilim. And um, <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't even know where to go with it. Uh, scripture isn't really clear what the Nephilim are or were, um, other than we know that they were mighty men who were of old, men of the renown. Um, we also know, or, or seem to... There's a couple of pathways to go with this. Um, 
Some believe that the Nephilim were, were of the line of Cain. Um, there's another thought that the Nephilim were um, some type of, of angelic being. Uh, and, and, and the reason they think that is every time there's about five spots in Scripture where it talks about the sons of God. <clears throat> and each time you see that statement, the son of God, it's speaking about an angelic being. Um, and to be perfectly honest, that's really about all we know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, Dave, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I would just, yeah, similar to you, I, I would agree. It, it seems to be throughout Scripture, those are the two uh, main interpretations that people would lean towards here. It's a difficult passage. Um, it really forces you to think through, man, we believe... What we believe is really supernatural, right? I mean, first of all, let's let's take a back. People kind of freak out at passages like this because they're like, this is weird. This is crazy. But if you back up for a second and you think, well, hold on. We believe that there is a God, a, a divine being who is unseen that we put our faith and trust in. And that God in the in Jesus became human and lived with us 2000 years ago, right? Like, like, and, and we believe that when we open the Bible, that this is a divine and human word, meaning it's, it's, um, God, the spirit spoke through human authors to write down these words so that we might know God and have a relationship with him. So, you know, I, I like to remind people when we run across passages that seem supernatural, it's like, oh, that's a little crazy. That's a little out there. Well, let's remind ourselves that what we truly believe in, we, we believe that there is a spiritual realm and a physical realm and that God, um, there's always a spiritual realm at work behind the scenes that we don't see. Like we we believe that. We, we read the book of Job. We see that. We um, you know, right away in Genesis one, we see that. So, um, I just encourage people to remind ourselves of that. So we don't freak out and say, what, (laughs) you know, what's this doing in the Bible? Well, the Bible itself is a very supernatural book and that it, we believe it's from God for us to know him. And, uh, so yeah, Sean, I would just kind of reiterate and say same thing as you, that the two main interpretations is, as we've talked about kind of the two lines, if you guys remember that specifically last week, we talked about the line of Cain and then what would have been the line of Abel, but became the line of Seth, right? As Sean mentioned. So some would argue kind of the less supernatural, um, interpretation in this would be, oh, the sons of God, are the sons of uh, Seth, who are coming from the godly line, and then the daughters of men are the daughters coming from um, Cain's line. So, so you have kind of the godly marrying the ungodly, and it becomes this kind of mixed um, kind of human population of godly and ungodly. That's a very, like I think, clean and simple way to interpret it. And then the other would be, and, and I, I'll just straight up say it, my leanings would be towards what Sean said. I think there are other passages that really show um, that these were spiritual beings. These were angels, as we saw that over a third of the angels followed Satan in his rebellion against God. And uh, so if you follow the story, it, it looks like this is where the giants came from, the mighty warriors, right? 
the Nephilim. And so it seems to be um, that, that that's what took place there. So it's a little crazy. <laughs> it is. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's all. That's what I'd throw in there, Sean. Dave, that was really, I really like your, your explanation of, uh, of reminding ourselves that we are, <laughs> well, if that sounds crazy, Really, it, it really fits into the narrative of the rest of Scripture. That everything <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it yeah. sounds, if you look at it, if you step back and look at what we believe, it sounds kind of crazy. And I can understand why the world would, would look at us differently. Yeah. Well, it is, it is interesting that because of, uh, I have a minor in philosophy. And, yeah, it really intrigued me. But there's a story that the non-believers tell of... Uh, the fact that they go to bed at night and they wake up and their garden is always trimmed and neat and clean. And finally, the, the believer says, well, you know, it's just a person. It's just a thing that you can't hear, you can't see. It doesn't have any form, but you just have to believe in it. And the non-believer says, well, then tell me how does your God differ from no God at all? Mm-hmm. And so you know, it's, it is. It's it's it is out there, and you have you have to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, um, I have a question on that one. So you referred to the Nephilim as fallen angels, then? Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know. I think Dave said that there a third of the angels fell. Um, I don't. The interesting thing is when it talks about, again, Scripture using in its five resources, using five resources of Scripture, when it talks about the sons of God, it seems to be talking about some type of angelic being, whether it's a godly being or uh, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Dave, do you, do you know the answer to that? Oh, can I finish my question? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> When I refer to them as fallen angels, and they marry human women, so that would you know produce offsprings, obviously. So, do you think that contributed to the sinfulness of humankind? Um, I would say no, because okay. So I guess it depends upon what you mean. Did it did it accelerate sin? From grace, from heaven. So you know, uh, obviously, didn't came down to earth and to hell, and they married human women. So they're not good angels, obviously. So that contributed to the evil of humans. Humankind. Um, and sinners together would you know, have really bad offspring. Um, I, I think my answer, Anne, would still be no. I think it might have accelerated sin, I, I, and I don't really have any evidence for that. But I think we're, as we're going to read here... Um, and, 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 and the, the stories we just came from, seeing how sin is just increasing on its own, and the, 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 um, 
the heart of man is desperately wicked from his youth, we're going to see. Uh, I, I would say that I, I don't. <laughs> That's just my understanding as I read verse 1 to verse 8. Yeah. Um, can I think about that a little bit? Okay. Because I see what you're saying because it, verse 1 uh definitely it, it, it yeah verse 1 through verse 8 it seems to imply that after the story of Lamech you had these angelic beings apparently who have procreated with human beings and this this whole little block of scripture seems to imply that maybe uh, things went even more sour but the question is I don't know that they I would say that they haven't got they didn't get more sour but maybe accelerated things I, I think that the sinfulness of man is already so deep that um, and I don't I, I don't know how to answer that question when I read verse 4 to verse 5 the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons yeah. of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So that's my interpretation that. Yeah. Yeah. I, if, if I could jump in there, I, I would agree. Yeah. And I think there's something to that it accelerating the sin. I think if you do take that lens, which I, like I said, I, I lean to, but as we've talked about in the past, there are things in scripture you hold open handedly to say, yeah. Hey, um, this isn't a hill I would die on. Like I would die on the hill that that Jesus became human, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was resurrected. Right? Like I, I would die for that belief. I would not die for the belief that spiritual beings left heaven um, and had children, <laughs> you know, with human women. I wouldn't die for that, but I, I lean strongly towards it. Um, and what I would say, and I don't know if this is helpful, is. Whether or not it accelerated human sin, I think it definitely accelerated, as we'll see in a minute, it accelerated God's judgment. Because what's happening here, if, if you do take that lens, is that um, is what's happening is a irredeemable race is being, re is being created here, uh, or unredeemable race, in the sense half human, half... Um, angelic here and and really God's heart and it gets really technical here but God's heart is to redeem the human race by Jesus becoming fully human and in, in living a human life dying a physical death and so it seems to be that that God is moving quickly into judgment here because um it there seems to be this development of, of half human half angelic which is crazy uh, but if you, if you guys want to write down a couple passages that might be helpful to follow that thread a little bit more, um, take a look at second Peter chapter four, I'm sorry, second Peter chapter two, second Peter chapter two, verse four and five. I'll drop it in the chat here too. So second Peter two, verse four and five. And then Jude, Jude is only one chapter. So it's Jude verses six. Jude, verse 6. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. 
Yeah. Um, Dave, I would ask, and maybe this is a conversation for after, because again, this is one of those things where I knew we were going to get into, and it was probably going to lead to more questions than answers. Um, if, if, if the view is that God's judgment is coming upon the world because of these, um, half human, half angelic beings, whatever the case may be. Um, Verse four, and I've always wondered this, it seemed, I I originally took that view and thought, okay, well, God's probably judging because of how um, this new irredeemable race came about. But when you read verse four, it says, Ah. earth in those days and also afterwards. Mm -hmm. And just getting ready for the flood story. So the question is, if God's goal was to, wipe off these angelic beings, um, what does the also afterward mean? Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's that's where I would say, once again, it's hard to, to nail it down. But those two passages, Second Peter 2 and then Jude, seem to allude to that. And Second Peter talks about how God... Uh, well, let me just... Uh, could somebody read that real quick? Second Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. So 2 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. I'll read it, and then, Sean, maybe if you could read Jude, verse 6 after that. So 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. He's kind of going through... Um, a list of kind of God's judgment there in Second Peter 2. And then, Sean, if you could read Jude 6. And we don't have to spend real long here, Sean. I don't want to bog us down, but just to do my best to kind of answer, you're asking a good question. Yeah. Uh, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper. Uh, oh, sorry left their proper dwelling. He is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Hmm. So the leaning would be, um, Sean, as you asked that question about Genesis 6, verse 4, is that this happened twice. Um, So God, um, so the angelic beings leave their dwelling place, which is supposed to be the spiritual realm. They enter into the, the physical realm and create half-human, half-spiritual beings. Um, God brings judgment on that, and he takes those spiritual beings who committed that sin with human women, and he casts them into darkness and and basically imprisons them. And um, Jude 6 would seem to allude to say that they like escaped or left that realm that God designated for them, and they did it again. And that's why even after the flood, you've still got giants. You've got you know, like yeah. Goliath and so forth still running is, is seemed like it, it happened twice. Um, and that's, you know, you can just go crazy and be like, well, did God not imprison them well enough? You know, I don't know. It's part yeah. of the story. That's just like, what do we do with this? So that's, that's, those are my conspiracy theories for the morning. 
and uh, do what you yeah. will with it. It's, here's here's where here's where I would leave it. Um, that because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. We we know that this is what took place. Um, I just don't know the scriptures clear on it, and so. Uh, if you have any questions, I'm going to direct you to John Kampschmidt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he loves this stuff um, and put a lot of time into it. So anyway, uh, any questions before we move on with that? Cool. Okay. Let's go to verse five. Dave, my question was, um, I don't know where you, where you locked up there, but mm-hmm. my question was, what drives your thoughts? Sorry, I'm. Um, uh, can you back up a little bit just to help me with that question? Yeah, we were talking about um, Moses writing that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart is only evil continually, uh, suggesting that the, the and this is painting a picture of the condition of man very clearly. How it's not just his heart; it's not the thoughts of his heart. But it, it goes even deeper. It's the intention of the thoughts of his heart. And my question was, um, I, 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 Dave, I asked Dave if, if that's true. And Dave said, I don't, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And so my question was, what drives the thoughts of our heart? And, and um, where does that leave us if, that, if that's true? If every intention of the thought of our heart is only evil continually, where does that leave us? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, and I think your question was like, where do where do my thoughts come from, right? And I, I yeah. think, uh, yeah, I I I think it's pretty clear in Scripture that it it comes from a a deceitful heart, first of all. And was it Jeremiah seventeen nine talks about how our hearts are deceitfully wicked? Who can understand it, right? That that uh, we're we're born kind of with a, a sickness in our hearts that will always be twisted. And it's been argued, and I I think it's argued well by some of the early church fathers like Augustine and then later on like C.S. Lewis, that uh, really at the heart of sin and selfishness is, um, well, is selfishness. So every motive of my heart has become what is best for me. And even if it comes at the cost of other people, even if it comes at, the cost of using others for my gain. Now my heart is bent towards everything in my life is self-preservation and self-exaltation, like I guess you could say. Now that doesn't mean I can't do some good things. I can do some great things for humanity. I can be um, a philanthropist and all this stuff. Um, but deep down, the what's driving even those quote-unquote good works is a desire to look good is a desire to be known by others as someone who does good stuff so even good things are driven by wrong motives i think as i got older and i realized like like oh shoot even the good things i'm trying to do are just because i want people to like me or be impressed by me that's just another act of selfishness (laughs) and so you come to a spot where you're like oh man i need a change of heart like I, I want to do the right thing because, um, you know, not out of selfishness, but out of genuine love. So I don't know if that's answering your question or I'm going on rabbit trails here. So, no, I think that's, I think that's good. I and mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's really good. And, and, and especially when you, you talked about, um, 
even when we do good things, they're oftentimes motivated by selfish ambition. And so um, if, if every intention of the thought of our heart was only evil continually, let's define evil. Mm-hmm. What, is, what does evil mm-hmm. mean? And what would you guys say that that means in that context? Any ideas? What about if we go back to uh, Genesis 1 uh, in, in verse 25? Uh, could somebody read that for me? Genesis 1 verse 25? And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, and the livestock according to their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw it was good. Um, thank you, uh, Victoria. I meant actually 27. I said 25, but that's good, too. Let me, I'll, I'll read it. Verse 26 and 27. He says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. What We talked about the image of God um, in, in, in uh, the image and likeness of God early on about how the image uh, I don't know if you guys remember the word selim representing a statue or a ruling. Um, uh, 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 um, do you, Dave, do you remember that? Your, your, uh, Stevens, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't. I, I don't remember the specifics on it, but yeah, I remember. Okay. So um, let me back up if you're okay with it. I'd like to maybe rehash that a little bit. Um, the word selim. Uh, is 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 when when the when the Jews would see the word selim, they would be reminded that kings of the earth would use a selim or a statue in corners or areas of their courtyard to remind the people that they are the rulers. And so what Moses is saying is that you guys are selim. You guys are now representing God on earth in in their rule, in our rule, in our ability to rule. And our likeness, the question is, how are we going to rule? We're going to rule reflecting God's attributes. And so I would say, to kind of put a bow on it, that evil would be reflecting our own attributes or, or, or uh, acting out of our own selfish ambition rather than acting by using God's attributes as we were designed. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it was interesting when uh, Dave said, that we only, uh, that not we, but we tend to operate out of our own desires of selfishness. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's exactly what, what uh, Moses is saying here, is that our continual position is self-preservation or self-promotion. And, and our, everything within us is, we're, we're, we've lost our, our our desire to reflect God, and we only want to reflect ourselves. We want to be our own gods. I mean, we see that at the tree, right? We decided to 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 seize autonomy and and uh, uh, eat off the tree and become our own gods, have our eyes open. And so, I, I think that that um, I think that that's what Moses is saying here: is that our ambitions are are self driven rather than reflecting God as we are designed. D- does that help? 
Yes. Okay. And that's also because we are no longer in the likeness of God because now we're in the likeness of Adam because of our sinful nature. So okay. Everything is like based on sin if you, if you think about it. Yeah. Our motive, yeah. Our, you know, our emotions, you know, our, our heart is, is all based on sin rather than the goodness of, and righteousness of God. Yeah. So we can't, we're, we're, we don't have the ability to be righteous anymore after the, after the fall, right? Now? Yeah. Hey, Sean, um, uh, sorry yeah. if this is a rabbit trail question. We could talk about this more later, but that's interesting the way Anne said that. Uh, just kind of triggered some thinking for me. You know how we've tried to distinguish the difference between image and likeness. And I think you just said that um, once Adam had a sinful nature, right, his sons that he then had with Eve were then after his likeness, not God's, right, which I think Sean showed us in Genesis 5. So they're no longer in the likeness of God. They're in the likeness of Adam. Um, I guess what I'm trying to think through is do we still continue? Because we still to this day will say, well, every human being is made in the image of God. You know, even if they're born into sin, you're made in the image of God. So would we? Would that be a distinction? Is every human being is still the image of God, um, but now the likeness of Adam? Is there a difference there, Sean? Or does that question make sense? I'm just trying to. The way Anne said that just got me thinking. Like, hmm. Yeah. Because humans are still in the image. Go ahead. No, no, no. Um... I was just going to say, I think that we're still made in the image and likeness of God, but we've also taken on another aspect, which is the sin aspect. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the and that's, that does come from Adam, man. That's, that's absolutely correct. It says at the beginning of uh, five um, that, um, uh, where is it at? Oh, um, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness and after his image and mm-hmm. named him Seth. And so what does that mean? Um, does that mean we're no longer made in the image or likeness of God? I don't think so. I think it means that we no longer have the ability to reflect God's image or likeness, but we're still made in it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. D- does that help? Yeah, um, I, need, I need to think through that some. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I don't think, and, and this is just off the top of my head. I don't think that um, our purpose or our um, um, a God's desire for us has changed at all. Yeah, I think that I think that because of our our sin, because of our fall, we don't have the ability to reflect that because that every intention of the thought of our heart is only mm-hmm. evil continually. Yeah. But I still think where the expectation is, I mean, that, that's what the law is, right? Mm-hmm. We see the Ten Commandments. The purpose of the Ten Commandments are to show us that we no longer have the ability to follow those. And that's why we need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Good. Did that help? Yeah, I like it. Okay, good. Um, any other questions about that before we move on? No? Okay. We're going to actually back up a little bit. because When we talked about the Nephilim, we... We missed a verse that I think I want to talk about a little bit here. It says, my spirit shall not, uh, I'm sorry, verse three. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for his flesh shall be 120 years. 
Excuse me, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. What does that mean? Um, there's two schools of thought here. Um, some scholars believe that our days are limited to 120 years. We will no longer live 777 years like Lamech or 962 years like Jared. But we are now limited to 120 years. Also, um, this is a warning to to um, a preamble to the to to the flood, where God is saying that in 120 years I am going to destroy the earth and kind of hit a reset button. And so, uh, I think both things are true. I think this is a this is a, a warning, and it's also telling us that we're not going to live past 120 years. He says, my, my spirit shall not abide in man forever. And, and so he's withdrawing that. And, and how does that look? What does that mean? Do you have any ideas on that, Dave? Let me uh, unmute. I hate you. to throw you under the bus because nope. that's a tough one. No, you're good. Uh, sorry, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just muting myself between talking here because um, yeah, Finn's going wild here. But um, yeah, no, I, I like that. I, it's funny. That's a newer thought for me. I've, I've always thought you know, that was just um, God saying, hey, I'm going to kind of decrease the cap of human life because the longer humans live, the the better they get at sinning, right? And so, <laughs> um, so I've always seen it that way. But then I, I really like what you're saying is he's also saying, hey, humans, you've got 120 years from now while Noah's building this boat to change your mind, change your heart, um, or judgment's coming, which is just yet another picture of the patience, um, the forbearance of God's justice. So I won't, I won't spoiler alert there, no. but I, I like that, that it's maybe a double-edged sword, 120 years there. I'm, I'm in agreement. Yeah. Okay. Um, so verse six, and the Lord God, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I want you guys to, yeah, um, realize that, that we have these subtitles, but scripture wasn't written with subtitles. This is one continuous uh, letter. So we get to see now why. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. So let's keep reading. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Anybody tell me why Noah found favor and why he was righteous and why he was blameless? It talks about it a little bit in verse, excuse me, in uh, chapter five about Enoch. That's a little bit of a spoiler. Says Enoch walked with God. Somebody help me understand what what walked with God means and why walking with God made Noah righteous and blameless and, and that he found favor in God's eyes. Just unmute, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> what, guys, what is, it, what is it, when you think of walking with God, and we hear that in the, the New Testament as well, what, is, what do you guys think walking with God means? This is, this is a, 
This is this is a weird one. To me, it rings of. Um, We've been talking about, well, we spent quite a bit of time talking about this in our men's discipleship group on Thursday nights because we walked through, and so Dave, you'll remember this, uh, a majority of the Hebrews 11 characters that we see and just who walked by faith, and that phrase is used for every single character, and I think that's what you're emphasizing, Sean, is they walked with God. To me, um, I, it, it resonates or kind of rings the bell of, of Genesis 3 where it says that God would walk with them in the cool of the day. So it, it's this idea that this walking, talking relationship and trust in the voice of God rather than the voice of the serpent would be my kind of first thoughts on walking with him. But I don't know if, if that's where you're going with that or not. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where I'm going. It, it paints a picture that Noah was kind of in lockstep with mm-hmm. with God. And we're mm-hmm. going to see later as we move through um, that it, it, it puts these quick little um, uh, quick little notes in there. Noah walked with God. Noah did all that God commanded him. Noah trusted God. And so what this is painting a picture of is that, um, that Noah found favor because he had faith in God. There you go. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's the word right there is faith. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's exactly right. Okay. Uh, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, as opposed to God's way on the earth, right? God's way is, is, is to reflect his attributes, but no, they corrupted their way. And God said to Noah, I have determined it's to make world. an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This, this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Anybody know what a cubit is, roughly? A cubit is roughly the, the length of, uh, from your elbow to your fingertips of the average. Hmm. So what's that, probably 20 inches? I think, yeah. I guess. Can you see the <laughs> yeah. Let me get out the measuring. There you go. Yeah, we're all, yeah, we're all average. Yeah. <laughs> I think they say typically it's anywhere like like 17 to 18 inches because when they use that cubit or lot throughout scripture they'll you can roughly just estimate it about a foot and a half yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) make a roof for the ark and finish it a cubit above and set the door on the ark on its in its sides make it with lower second and third decks for behold i will bring a flood upon the waters excuse me a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, 
and of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. Noah did, uh, Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. So there we see an example of his faith and, and what that means to walk with God. And we're going to, again, we're going to continually see, get, get hints how Noah trusted God. Now imagine this. Let's back up a second. Imagine this. Um, from this point backward, there, there was no rain. The idea was that the earth, when we go back to Genesis, we see the earth was, was watered with a firmament and with water coming up from under the ground to, to water the plants. And so God comes to you and says, hey, it, I, I'm going to make water fall from the sky, something nobody's ever seen. And, and you're going to build an ark, and this ark is going to save you from these floodwaters that are coming from the sky. Imagine if, if we never, or if you'd never seen rain, and God came to you and said that, and then you were obedient. And, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God says. I'm going to make a boat, even though it makes no sense. How do you think the rest of the world reacted to, mm-hmm. to Noah's position? And what kind of testimony do you think Noah served up to the rest of mankind? Um, I'm, I, you know, the scripture doesn't talk about how, uh, how Noah witnessed, but I imagine the fact that he's building the boat, people are asking questions. He's probably witnessing the people and saying, look, God is going to make water come from the sky soon, and and uh, and He's going to destroy the earth. And I imagine everybody laughed. Mm-hmm. Probably, uh, yeah, much like they do with us today when we say Jesus is going to return. Yeah, yeah, they laugh at us. Oh, where is your God? Right? Yeah. Dave, anything you want to add in there? Yeah, I think that's really good. I mean, the way you said that made me think about. Um, imagine for 120 years being laughed at. Like, I just think of us being such a people of instant gratification. Like, we want to do something and we want to see immediate results or we want to we want to prove ourselves to be right, you know, within a day. <laughs> and to go 120 years with all your neighbors laughing at you, because you're building something for 120 years and there's no sign of rain, uh, man, that takes, it's not just a one-time faith, it's like a daily faith for 120 years. That's that's faith for the long haul, <laughs> you know? it's yeah. uh, That would be hard. That'd be really hard. And, and how, yeah, it would be hard. And, and, and Dave, I think that, um, I think that we're really in the same position. You know, we're not mm-hmm. we're not waiting for rain, but we're waiting for Christ. We're waiting for for God to return to the earth and redeem the earth, much like Noah was waiting for rain and, and destruction and, and, a, and a reset. Mm-hmm. And so, what what <laughs> Noah's Noah's um, favor with God and his blamelessness and his righteousness was tied to his faith, as you said, David. So I want to point out that that our righteousness, our blamelessness is also tied to faith, just exactly like Noah's. And so a lot of times we have, um, a lot of times conversations I'll have with people, they, they will point toward um, the sacrifices made in the Old Testament for Old Testament people's salvation. And I, and I want to point out that really the Old Testament 
folks were saved the same way we are. Um, they were, God had made a promise that he was going to send a redeemer and through their sacrifice, their obedience of sacrifice, their faith was demonstrated that God was going to send a redeemer. And, and our position is just the, just the same, but on a different perspective. Mm-hmm. They were looking forward to God sending a redeemer and we're looking back on his finished work. So salvation, uh, a lot of times I think people believe that God changed the rules and that, that the sacrifices were the value, but really the sacrifices weren't the value. It was the faith in God's promise that a redeemer was to come. D- does that make sense, guys? Yeah, good. Let's stop there uh, before we move into seven. Um, is there any questions so far about, uh, about six? Um, I wanted to add, um, there's a correlation between verse 20 and chapter 1, verse 24, 25, where it says, um, oh, uh, you shall bring two of every sort, oh, hang on, yeah, um, yeah, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kind and of the animals according to their kind and every creeping thing of the grass. It's basically God is making or giving Noah the stewardship over the animals, just like God yeah. is having stewardship in, in the beginning of creation. Yeah, that's a great observation. Because with the flood, with the flood, basically God is recreating the beginning of a new earth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great observation, Anne, because after the flood, we're going to see the command that he gives Noah, the very same command that that he gave Adam. And so literally, Noah becomes a new Adam. Okay. Anything else in there? Maybe just to tag along with what Anne is saying about kind of a new creation from Adam to then Noah when he gets off the boat is maybe if you guys read uh, Genesis 6 through 8 or 9 this week, just notice um, first all the decreation language. That's, that's something that is pretty interesting the author puts in there just all the language that, you know, Sean has done a really good job of emphasizing the order that God brings and then um, specific hierarchy, specific order. And then Satan comes in and flips that upside down through deception, right? The reversal of order. Well, God's now showing that through judgment it has to come like this decreation. So rather than in Genesis 1 separating the waters, that were once on the earth, he now lets the waters come back with a flood. And rather than putting his his spirit, his breath into the living creatures, actually his breath is taken out of the... So there's all this kind of decreation language that's really, really interesting as God is about to kind of recreate. So, yeah. And I think that's a really good catch where you're going with that. Yep. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk through... Uh... We'll talk through that a little bit more next week okay. as we as Noah steps off the ark. This is some really neat stuff. Mm-hmm. What's that? This is some really neat stuff. Yeah, I mean it's it just forces you to do some thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that. 
It sounds like Dave's ready to come back next week, having done the homework of explaining to us what the Nephilim are. <laughs> what, explain Dave, what? Explain. You're going to come next week ready to explain who the Nephilim are to us. Oh, there. <laughs> Please. Ex- yeah. I'll do some investigation. I'm that. waiting for someone to solve that one for me because I'm still pretty hesitant to like, you know, boldly say this is what I believe because I don't know. I still don't get it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. You have to have faith. <laughs> That's right. Deal. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for <laughs> putting me in. I agree. Totally. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It is, it is, you know, it is some really neat stuff. Um, you know, I, I think when we read Genesis, um, Dave, I think, I think uh, during our class last time, uh, our, our intensive heaven and heaven and uh, hell intensive, you made the statement at the end, and it really struck, it stuck with me. You had said, um, when we read this frigidly, it just sounds like a a, a, a story. But when you really start to to dig into it, and these weren't exactly what you said, you did see you did say frigidly, which I thought was a really um, really good descriptive description of how we oftentimes read scripture. But when we really start digging in, man, there's gold. There's gold here. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, would somebody pray for us as we uh, as we disperse and go be the church? <laughs> I like it. Anne, would you pray for us today? Me? Yeah, you're in. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and and for um, giving us a brand new day each and every day. Thank you for the blessings that you continue to provide for us. We pray for peace in our country and around the world. Um, there's so much hatred and, and anger and... Um, sinfulness going on it's kind of like the story that we've just read um, in chapter 6 the wickedness of man is just continually growing and and I think uh, this is a sign that you are um, giving us and to show us how um, wicked our um, how wicked people become over the years and that you want to give us this last chance to redeem ourselves and uh, we just pray that you uh, uh, bring us uh, 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 bring us a sign to uh, bring us back to you, Lord, and um, so that we can uh, provide a, a good and um, loving uh, uh, environment and, and and country for our children. Um, we pray for those who are still. Um, recovering from the coronavirus and that uh, you continue to give them comfort and um, listen to the doctors to find a cure for this, um, for this virus. And uh, we pray that you uh, continue to watch over us and we pray that uh, one day soon we'll be able to uh, come together again as a church. We all miss one another and we, uh, we need the um, fellowship that the, uh, we have been um, deprived of over the months. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.